Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Two of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. Part Two. What may your business here be, young man? said Parsons, eyeing him from top to toe. I called in, sir, to inquire whether you happen to want a spinner and what the wages may be, said Michael. Is it for yourself? demanded Parsons, knitting his brows and looking at him with a sort of incredulous sneer why no sir it is for a kinsman who happens to be out of employ replied michael colouring from the unusual consciousness of deceit and from the same cause casting his eyes upon the ground thereby displaying the remarkable length of his black eyelashes and giving to his whole countenance a look much more resembling that of former days than he had worn when he first entered parsons looked at him with a sort of vague idea that he had seen him before where do you come from said he from westmoreland sir i have been living in service there for these four years past and pray what may your name be robert thornton sir replied michael blushing again as he thus unceremoniously borrowed the appellation of his worthy master have you ever worked in a factory yourself yes sir i have when i was a boy said michael from mere want of skill and hardihood in the art of lying and you think you have bettered yourself i suppose with your fine buff waistcoat and the rest of it no we don't want no spinners here michael by no means unwillingly obeyed this dismissal and walked away more than half ashamed of his achievement if i didn't know that michael armstrong was dead i should swear that there chap was him said a girl somewhat older than our imprudent masquerader and who had been watching him very earnestly during the foregoing conversation the observation was not addressed to the overlooker but to another girl who had brought the speaker her dinner to prevent her leaving some particular work on which she was employed what's that you say sykes said parsons turning quickly towards her i was saying sir as that boy was unaccountable like michael armstrong as used to live in mother's back kitchen he wasn't above a year or two younger than me and i knowed him as well as i did my own brothers stuff and nonsense girl all the world knows that young rascal died years ago and fuss enough there was made about it by that mad miss at milford who i suppose found out that she was their cousin or something of the sort for she took it so to heart that she sold her house and lands and ran away with another of em to some foreign country for fear he should die too sure you must mind all that queer story yes sir replied the girl i remember it right well and that's the reason why i says that i know it can't be him yet upon my soul now you mention it he was the very image of him i fancied as i looked at him that surely i had seen him somewhere before but it can't be a dead dog is dead all the world over yes sure sir responded kitty sykes who being what is called a very sightly girl was not unfrequently indulged with a little condescending notice from mr parsons but twas his queer curly black hair and his particular looking eyes as put it into my head and if you go on talking of it sykes in that way you will be putting it into my head too and after all there is nothing so very impossible in it nobody in these parts could really know much about it you see and there's no reason as i can tell why the scamp might have not run away from the deep that is the stocking weaver's manufactory as he was sent prentice to and as they ought to have stopped him might have given out that he was dead replied the overlooker then if it was possible resumed kitty sykes i wouldn't mind taking my bodily oath that that there young fellow was michael armstrong and nobody else egad i wish i hadn't let him go cried parsons running to the gates he was prentice till twenty-one and if he has run away 
he's liable to be taken up and put in prison by the first as catches him kitty sykes took the liberty of running to the gates also but to say the truth she had no wish at all that mr parsons should catch him up and put him into prison the girl though she had prudence enough not to communicate the opinion to her friend mr parsons thought the stranger by far the handsomest young fellow she had ever seen and secretly determined if she could catch sight of him again that she would give him a hint to keep clear of his old acquaintance there he goes cried parsons watching michael as with upright gait and rapid strides he was pursuing his way by the well-remembered path which led from the factory to dowling lodge there he goes he don't look like one of the mill people anyway and yet the fellow said that he had worked in a factory didn't you hear him kitty yes sir replied the girl and it was just then that i felt so unaccountable sure that unless it was out and out impossible it must be michael armstrong as was speaking i never did see such eyes o michael's not such hair neither and there he goes i'll bet a sovereign rejoined the overlooker to take a look at his old quarters at the lodge kitty i'll give you a glass of gin and a shilling if you'll run after him you can run like a hare i know run and bring him back kitty there's a darling and say as i've got some good news to tell him off started the girl with right good will having her own reasons for wishing to do the errand as well as a very sufficient inclination to gain the promised reward mr parsons by no means overrated her running powers and had she been less fleet she would have failed in her object for michael walked briskly and without any inclination to remain longer in the vicinity of the mill though by no means conscious that he had been recognized he had just turned the corner of a hedge when the girl overtook him so that their colloquy did not take place within sight of the overlooker michael heard the fair kitty's approach and turned to see who it was that thus came galloping and panting after him do you want me young woman said he civilly stopping for her well then you are no changeling replied the girl laying her hand on his arm you were always out and out the civilest boy in the mill a very bright suffusion dyed the clear brown of michael's cheek as he heard this i do not know what you mean he replied come come michael armstrong rejoined kitty you needn't be afraid of me don't you remember kitty sykes as have gone to and from the mill with you and teddy a hundred and a hundred times is it indeed kitty sykes grown into such a handsome young woman said michael holding out his hand to her and feeling quite incapable of preserving his incognito in the presence of so old an acquaintance and to think of your knowing me kitty but you must not betray me my dear girl if i was found out for michael armstrong i might get into a scrape and that's true and no lie answered the faithless ambassadress for i am sent after you by that old beast parsons to tell you to come back because he had good news for you but his news would be just to give you notice to march into prison for having run away and i agreed to carry his message for him he thinks that i delight in him the old monster but i'd rather walk a mile to do a kindness to you michael than stir an inch to please him god bless you my dear girl i hope you have done me a great service now for i think i could show him leg bail that he would find it difficult to refuse kitty so now good-bye old friend i am sorry to part so soon but it won't do to stay here to be caught will it no truly mike i'd be loath to see any friend of mine at his mercy or at that of his master either but you won't go clear away out of the country without seeing me again will you you needn't be afeard of him twill be easy enough to put him off the scent i'll back and tell that we was both of us altogether deceived 
and that you beant no more michael armstrong than he be i don't think i ought to stay in ashley now kitty there's others may know me as well as you and he and twould be a terrible change i can tell you my dear girl to come down from the hills where i am tending a good master's sheep and often feel so high and so happy that i think i am half way to heaven it would be a terrible change kitty to come from that into the deep valley mill again which is as much worse than our old factory here as hanging is worse than whipping lord have mercy upon em then ejaculated the poor girl but i say michael you needn't run no risk at all if i go back and say it isn't you and then you might meet me after nightfall in the town it will not be very long kitty before i am one-and-twenty and a free man and it's then please heaven that i'll come back again and pay the old place a visit you have been kind enough to remember me so long that i don't think you'll have forgotten me by that time and it shall go hard with me but i'll bring you a token from some of our north country fairs so saying he gave the damsel a kiss and she wrung his hand without making any further effort to detain him god bless you said the retreating michael over his shoulder and god bless you too you nice boy muttered poor kitty i wouldn't ask no better luck than just to follow you and keep sheep too either from wishing to look after him as long as he was in sight or for the purpose of giving him law in case mr parsons should determine on pursuit kitty sykes remained stationary on the spot where michael left her till abandoning his hardy project of a visit to dowling lodge he had stretched far away over the fields towards the road he was to pursue northwards to his peaceful home and then she walked leisurely back to the factory where after a sharp reproof for staying so long and a pert reply to it she informed the overlooker that they had both been wrong but that the young lad said he might be found if he was wanted at the sign of the magpie that was about a mile on the road towards london warned by this unexpected recognition michael determined to run no more risks among his townfolks but not being disposed to lose the little bundle he had deposited at the nag's head he ensconced himself within the shelter of a small public house on the roadside resolved to wait there till the evening set in and then to venture back to his last night's lodging pay his bill reclaim his bundle and set forth upon a night march which he hoped would take him beyond all danger of mr parsons before the following morning having secured his welcome by the usual ceremony of ordering a meal michael looked about him for some means of occupation during the hours which he had doomed himself to pass there and in despair of finding any better literary amusement seized upon a heap of handbills of a vast variety of external forms but having as he found upon examination one and all the same object namely the calling together a general meeting of the whole county of york then undivided for the purpose of signing a petition to parliament for a law limiting the hours of labour in factories to ten hours a day michael armstrong was no longer a factory operative free as the air he breathed upon his beloved mountain-tops he no longer trembled at the omnipotent frown of an overlooker nor sickened as he watched the rising sun that was to set again long hours before his stifling labour ceased all this was over and ended with him for ever yet did his heart throb and his eye kindle as he perused page after page of the arousing call which summoned tens of thousands nay hundreds of thousands to use the right their country vested in them of imploring mercy and justice from the august tripartite power that ruled the land very powerful was the male and simple eloquence with which many of these unpretending compositions appealed to the paternal feelings of those they addressed and such terribly true representations were found among them of the well-remembered agonies of his boyhood 
that Michael was fain to put his spread hand before his face to conceal the emotions they produced. He had sat in this situation for some minutes, revolving both his former sufferings and the blessedness of his present release from them, when a man, who had been quietly sitting writing at a distant window, but had nevertheless found leisure to watch Michael's countenance as he proceeded with his examination of the handbills, rose from his place, and gently approaching him said in deep yet very gentle voice, you seem moved by the perusal of these papers my good friend is it the first time you have met with them yes indeed sir it is replied michael starting from his reverie then i presume you are a stranger in this part of the country why yes sir the master i serve is a westmoreland statesman and i am only come this way upon a holiday trip then maybe you don't care enough for the poor factory operatives to join their meeting and put your name to their petition if caring for them could do them any good master replied michael warmly they would be in no want of help as long as i was near them but i don't think the name of a poor servant boy like me could do them either honour or service then what sort of names my good lad do you suppose will support this petition do you think the great mill-owners will sign it do you think such men as sir matthew dowling for instance whom you may have heard spoken of down at ashleigh maybe do you think it will be such as he whose first object in life is to get as many hours of labour out of the little creatures that work for him as stripes can make them give do you think it will be such as he that will sign the ten hours bill not if that bill is either to hurt himself or better the children i should think said michael true enough replied his new acquaintance and not only is that true but he and the like of him will do all that mortal men can to prevent all others from signing it but heaven forbid they should succeed young man for if they do the best hope of many thousand suffering and most helpless human beings will fall to the ground then indeed may heaven forbid that they should have their will returned michael fervently when is this meeting to take place he added turning his eyes again to the papers he still held in his hand but three days hence truly i should like to witness it is there any reason against your doing it demanded the stranger will your services be wanted by your master before that time he won't expect me till two or three days after it replied michael i have done all i wanted at least i have stayed as long as i wished at ashley and i don't see any great harm there would be in witnessing the meeting do see it my good lad said the stranger i predict that it will offer a spectacle such as never was witnessed before and most likely never will or can be seen again a multitude probably amounting to above a hundred thousand overworked operatives will meet in peace and good order to petition for legal relief from the oppression of a system which has brought them to a lower state of degradation and misery than any to which human beings have ever been brought before were those in whom these poor people have confidence less deeply anxious to preserve the public peace than they are a different mode of redress might be sought for but as it is an honest man may venture to advise such a respectable young fellow as you seem to be to stretch your good master's leave a little in order to be present at this great spectacle a good deal more conversation followed on the same theme and ere michael had ceased to listen to his companion he felt convinced that duty as well as inclination would lead him to do all that a loyal subject and peaceable citizen could in aid of the suffering class from whose ranks he had so miraculously escaped in a word michael armstrong determined to attend the great yorkshire meeting and hold up his hand for the ten hours bill 
the extraordinary circumstances attending that enormous meeting the unaccountable disappointments which at every halting place attended all the precautionary efforts of the committee to procure bread for the multitude while beer was everywhere found ready and in the greatest abundance the terror felt by those most interested lest heat fatigue exhaustion and beer together might lead to some disturbance of the peace and the triumphant influence of reason and kindness joined in inducing the hungry multitude to separate peaceably are always matters of history and the narrative must therefore adhere to the fortunes of its hero without dwelling upon nobler themes in returning to ashley for his bundle michael took good care to be as little seen as possible he was in fact more than ever anxious to avoid detection as the more he meditated on his recollections of sir matthew dowling and parsons the more did he feel convinced that should he fall into their power before the age of twenty-one matters would go very hard with him at the great assembling of the people at york he feared not that he should encounter any enemy the only human beings whom he could so designate being likely to show themselves at the most distant part of the kingdom rather than before the face of the multitude to be expected there no feelings of distrust or alarm therefore arose to check the pleasurable excitement which this expedition was calculated to inspire and michael with his stout staff over his shoulder and the cotton handkerchief containing a change of linen suspended from it set out with a light heart and an active step upon a walk in which he soon found himself joined by many thousand companions the assurance given him by his unknown acquaintance that he should see a wonderful and spirit-stirring spectacle was fully verified the very sight of the road along which he travelled which looked like a dark and mighty current moving irresistibly along while tributary streams flowed into it on all sides so thick and serried was the mass that moved along it was of itself worth the toil it cost him to behold its peaceful tumult from time to time michael indulged in a little questioning of the various individuals beside whom he found himself but for the most part the men were too intent upon the object of their expedition to converse idly respecting it and by degrees our hero grew as silent as the rest and trudged on without any other communion than that of his own thoughts it was at about twenty miles distance from york when the multitude were on their return that a circumstance occurred which being of considerable importance to michael must be detailed somewhat at length he had entered an inn by the roadside which being one of the largest post-houses on the north road had an air of pretension and costliness about it that caused the great majority of the host to walk on without venturing to approach precincts so dangerous but michael was much exhausted and having already discovered when passing before the humbler houses of public entertainment that no rest could be hoped for from entering them every inch of space being occupied he deemed it wisest to disperse a splendid shilling rather than fag on till he had no strength to go further in pursuance of this reasoning he entered the kitchen of the royal oak and called for bread cheese and a pint of beer though there were not many of his fellow-travellers either rich or extravagant enough to share these splendid quarters with him there were nevertheless three or four men taking refreshment in the apartment one of these an elderly respectable-looking personage who had as it seemed exclusive possession of a snug little round table in a corner made a sign to michael to share it with him this was gratefully accepted the loaf and cheese were already there and the foaming tankard quickly followed i marked you at the meeting said his sociable companion it did my heart good to see a sprinkling here and there of them that come out of pure love and kindness to their poor fellow-creatures having nothing themselves to gain tis a pity and a sin too that so many englishmen stand idly by 
when such a business as this is afoot just as if they had nothing to do with it but they are one and all mistaken and that they may chance to find out too one of these days you give me credit for more than i deserve perhaps replied michael that is if you think my heart was enough with the poor factory folks to make me take a long roundabout to sign with them without having had some knowledge of their sufferings myself you are right in thinking that i am not one of them now but i have been and heaven forbid i should ever forget it for the keeping that time mind is quite enough to make everything that comes to me now seem light and easy you have worked in a factory said the other in an accent of surprise i should never have guessed as much but you are very rightful to be thankful for the present instead of ashamed for the past but i don't think he added eyeing the fine person of michael from head to foot i don't think i ever saw a lad who showed so little signs of having suffered in health and limb from it some lucky accident must have taken you away early i have seen many a boy and girl crippled for life replied michael before they were as old as i was when i ran away my good fellow whispered his companion don't you use them words again you are safe with me i promise you but if you ran from indentures you won't do wisely to tell of it you must blame your own kind and friendly looks said michael smiling i know well enough that what you say is true and it isn't a thing i should have told to many but excepting just now that i took a fancy to come back and take a look about the old place where i was born i have got so clear and clean away from mills and mill-owners that i have grown rather bolder maybe than i ought to be my business now thank heaven is sheep-tending upon the beautiful free hills of westmoreland you may well be thankful for such a change replied his friendly companion it must have been some unaccountable good luck for in general a runaway factory prentice is hunted down and caught long before he has got among the good hill folks it was indeed a blessed chance for me said michael with deep feeling i fell into the hands of the best man and the best master that ever a wretched runaway hit upon i almost wonder at you then venturing to come within sight of your own place again you can't be one and twenty yet by your looks and you would not over well like to work but your time in a factory i should think said the other i don't think i should replied michael laughing and i have run some risk i promised you already of the very thing you talk of since i left my master's house nothing would content my foolish fancy for calling back old times but going to look at the very factory where i first worked and talking to the identical tyrant who tortured me there but he did not know you i hope said the old man i can hardly say that he did not replied michael for some notion or other came into his head and after i left him he sent for me to come back again it was however by a friendly messenger who knew well enough who i was and gave me pretty plainly to understand which way i had better walk and that was good luck again but i was sorry too to have to turn away from the old place without learning any news of my former acquaintance i found the same overlooker at sir matthew dowling's mill and that was all i could find out sir matthew dowling's mill at ashley that's my country too my wife keeps a school at milford replied the man and we have heard enough of sir matthew can you tell me anything about his daughter martha demanded michael with the appearance of being greatly interested in the inquiry 
she was very kind to me and i loved her next best i think to my own dear mother and brother do you happen to know anything about her not just at present replied the man though they do say that all the family are likely to have a downfall owing to sir matthew's getting into a scrape about bad bills or something or other t'other side the water but i do well remember something particular about miss martha that you talk of a matter of seven years ago and if she was good to you it was more than she was to everybody for it was all along of a cruel piece of treachery of hers that i lost the best mistress that ever man had i dare say if you come from ashley you must know the name of miss brotherton though it's long since she left milford i was her coachman and if it had not been for miss martha dowling i believe i might have been so still i was but just turned ten years old at the time i knew miss martha returned michael but i shouldn't have thought she could be treacherous to anybody she was though for all our people knew the whole story from first to last and a queer story it was too when one thinks of the end of it which was neither more nor less than sending our dear young lady away out of the country i never happened to know anything about the lady who owned the park replied michael except that she was one of the fine folks as i have seen at dolling lodge but i should like to hear the story because of miss martha why the short and the long of it was that there was a poor widow called armstrong michael started so violently that his companion stopped did you happen to know her my lad he added after a pause yes sir i remember her very well but please do go on well then this widow armstrong had two sons and one of them was had up to the great house dowling lodge i mean for some nonsensical reason or other and sir matthew pretended to make the greatest fuss in the world about him and the whole country was talking about it but for some offence of the poor boys i never rightly heard what the old sinner determined upon sending him prentice to the most infernal place by all account that the earth has got to be ashamed of and how do you think the poor widow was coaxed over to sign the indentures why by your friend miss martha and no one else and that i know upon the best authority well tis a long story the ins and outs of it and i can't say that i ever rightly understood the whole but this i know to be fact that our young mistress took the whole thing so much to heart that she actually set out to look after the boy but when she got to the murderous place the poor little fellow was dead and what did she do then dear tender-hearted lady but bring back a pretty little girl instead of him because as we all guessed she was determined to save somebody the emotion of michael armstrong on hearing this was so entirely beyond his power to conquer that he lost all capability of utterance and instead of asking the name of the little girl an inquiry which he in vain strove to make he sat pale and gasping with his eyes fixed on the speaker and every limb trembling the lord have mercy on us what is the matter with you my good fellow said miss brotherton's ci-devant coachman you look cruel bad is it my tale as turns you so or is it that you have walked too much and too fast no 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 pray go on murmured michael making a strong effort to articulate tis the story then 
and you knowed the poor armstrongs beyond all doubt said the kind-hearted coachman well then you shall hear the end of it when my mistress brought back the news of the little fellow's death his poor mother who was but a sickly cripply sort of body just broke her heart and died whereupon miss brotherton took home the other boy put him to school to my wife and then took to teaching him herself and treated him for all the world as if he had been her own brother and then she began to fancy that he wanted a doctor and then groaned michael suddenly interrupting him and then he died you don't say so said the coachman in an accent of regret did he indeed poor boy well now i'm sorry for that for it was a pleasure to see him growing taller and stouter every day almost as one may say and when was it he died it's curious that we should never have heard of it heard of it said michael while a sort of wild uncertainty took possession of his mind that gave him the feeling of one whose reason threatened to leave him heard it why did you want to hear it could you not see and know it if he was living in the same house with you for certain i could if he had died while miss brotherton remained at the park but that he did not for i drove him off the first stage myself alive and well and looking as beautiful as he always did poor lad for he was to be sure the handsomest faced boy that ever i looked upon but what might have happened to him afterwards is of course more than i can say for when the place was sold and all of us paid off all we heard was that our dear young lady was set off to travel in foreign countries and had left pensions to every one of her servants according to their length of service so we know nothing since is there no one can tell me where she has gone and in what land my brother died said michael violently agitated your brother said his companion who do you mean by your brother my lad teddy my brother edward i am michael armstrong was the convulsive reply god bless my heart and soul and you be the boy as miss brotherton went to look after and she got it into the wrong box then about your being dead was there ever anything like that but who was it my boy that told you your brother was dead a woman in ashley one living in the house where my mother died she told me that my mother was dead and my brother too did she know who she was speaking to did she know you was michael armstrong said the old coachman with quickness no she knew me not replied michael but she knew that the widow armstrong and her boy were dead and i'll be hanged if i believe as your brother is dead replied the other eagerly when she said the widow's boy she meant you i'll lay my life on it and there is nobody in ashley if they had told of her death but would have named that of her boy too but it would have always been meaning you because everybody knew that one followed close upon the news of the other and i don't believe that your brother's dead and that's a fact michael clasped his hands rigidly together and closing his eyes remained so long motionless that his good-natured companion became alarmed and laying his hand upon the poor lad's arm shook him gently as he said anyhow my good fellow there is no cause for you to break your heart with thinking about it all talking about your poor mother and her love of you as made you turn as pale as a sheet and natural enough too perhaps but my notion that your brother is alive and well ought to comfort you oughtn't it 
Michael opened his eyes, and, fixing them on his companion, said, The joy of it is more than I can bear. And then, the tears bursting forth, he wept copiously. A timely relief for which he had great reason to be thankful. Well, well, I don't mind seeing you cry a little. That won't do you no harm. And thank goodness your colour is coming back again. I declare I thought I had been the death of you, said his new friend. But I'll tell you something more, and that is the name of him as knows more about Miss Brotherton and your brother too, I'll be bold to say, than anybody in the whole country, and that's Parson Bell of Fairley. And where is Fairley? said Michael, starting up. How long shall I be in getting there? The hope is only hope yet, you know, there is no certainty. Edward, dear, dear Edward, is it God's pleasure that I should see him again in this world? Is it possible that such a heavenly dream can ever come true? Oh, how often have I sat upon the hill and watched the clouds, and thought that he was above them all! Poor boy! But twill be better still for a few years to come that he should be upon the earth along with you, won't it? Where is Fairley? reiterated Michael. How long shall I be in getting there? Longer than you'll like, my dear boy, replied the coachman. It's a good sixteen miles from this very house. I should not wonder if they was to charge seventeen, and you must not think of trying to compass that to-night, for you are not in any wise in a fit condition for it, changing colour as you do every minute. Your best course will be to rest here for the night, and set off again by times to-morrow morning, and that will bring you in easy by about the middle of the day, you know impossible said michael i owe you more than i am able to thank you for and i would be willing to show my gratitude by following your advice only sir i am quite sure i could not sleep a wink and i don't think it would do me any good to lie tossing from side to side unknowing for certain whether my own dear teddy was alive or dead so if you please i must set off directly that i may know the best and the worst at once i suppose at your age i should have done the same therefore i won't pretend to quarrel with you for it replied the good man but i suppose it would be just prudent to call for an inkhorn and to set down a bit of paper the name of the good clergyman that you are to call upon as well as his place of residence there is no need of that sir said michael parson bell of fairley are the words you said and they as well as all the rest you have spoken seem as if they were stamped upon my very heart but yet before i start i should like to use the ink-horn too that i might write a line or so to my good master i know he will be troubled in his mind about me if i don't get back and i don't know rightly how long it may be god bless him good man continued michael it was he that had me taught to write and he shan't be left with any doubts or fears upon his mind for want of a letter from me this was a measure that the coachman greatly approved and observing that he was well known in the house and sure to be minded he undertook to order the writing materials as well as something substantial by way of a supper declaring that though he had come into his young friend's wild scheme of walking off straight away for fairly instead of putting up for the night either where they were or at leeds he should not part with him without a quarrel if he refused to accept and do justice to the good cheer he should provide this kindness on the part of the man who had so strongly influenced his destiny was both kindly intentioned and wisely devised 
for greatly did the agitated young man stand in need of recruited strength and tranquillity before he set off upon a new expedition which was to lead to information so vitally important to his happiness though it was somewhat against his inclination he accepted the friendly invitation gratefully and the materials for writing set before him he addressed the following epistle to mr thornton honoured master your goodness to me in all ways would make any abuse of it on my part a heavy crime indeed too heavy i think for me to commit or you to suspect me of but i cannot be at the supper-table at neckerby on saturday night according to my promise a very strange thing has happened to me dear master which may perhaps come to nothing and in that case i know you will hear my story and pity me too much to think of anger but if all i hope comes to pass your generous heart will rejoice with me and you will bless your own goodness for bringing me to the knowledge of the very greatest joy that ever fell to the lot of a human being by giving me this holiday i am honoured master your faithful and grateful servant michael armstrong having finished his letter and committed it to the post michael felt somewhat more tranquil and endeavoured to assume with his new acquaintance an air of greater composure and self-possession but his heart beat his temples throbbed his thoughts wandered and when he and his friendly companion sat down to supper the poor boy felt that he could almost as easily have swallowed the board itself as any portion of the substantial fare which was spread upon it but he quaffed a long and refreshing draught from a pitcher of cold water and putting at the suggestion of the worthy coachman a crust in his pocket he sallied forth with the agitating consciousness that on the information of which he was in pursuit hung all his earthly hopes his new friend shook his head as he felt his feverish hand and marked his heightened colour and his eager eye god bless you boy said the good man remember if you fall sick by the way that my name is richard smithson that i live at milford near ashley and that i'll hold myself ready to come to you at a pinch if you should happen to have need of me and here michael armstrong are three sovereigns that i give you to keep for two reasons one is that you may use them in case you have need the other that if you don't want them i shall be sure to see you when you bring them back and that you will do or i'll never trust a lad's face more and now good-bye it is but a wildish sort of boy's trick though setting off this way at night when you ought to be in bed the air and the walk will do me more good than all the beds in the world replied michael god bless you sir see me you shall if i continue to live and so saying he strode forth into the night with a longing for greater space to breathe in than could be found in the kitchen of the royal oak the boy was right as to the effect which this bodily exertion would produce upon him the very darkness calmed him he took his hat off that the cool air might bathe his temples with its dewy breath and though his pace was rapid and scarcely relaxed for a moment during many miles the action of his pulse became more healthy and the aching of his throbbing temples passed away all he now seemed to fear was that his imagination should cheat him into the persuasion that all he wished was true edward fanny for of her identity with miss brotherton's protege he could hardly doubt when he remembered the history of her departure from the deep valley these names seemed to ring in his ears and to be inscribed in starlight on the heavens as he raised his eyes towards them and thus the sixteen miles were traversed before he had half chewed the cud of all the sweet thoughts that thronged upon his fancy when he reached fairly it was still much too early to find any one stirring so michael unceremoniously walked into a cart-shed 
and clambering up into a vehicle that had the sweet savour of newly carried hay to recommend it he placed his bundle under his head and despite both hopes and fears fell into a sound sleep nor waked till cocks hens cows pigs and ploughboys all joined in chorus to arouse him End of chapter twenty seven